we saw and we stood, right? How many of us are in that same boat? This is the moment, right? Today, today, that we can be part of seeing God do something about that. And I just believe that so strongly. Jesus didn't leave the church here to sing songs and to hear messages, right? Yep. Maybe that's part of it. That's not the whole of it. Jesus left the church here with a mission. The last thing he said before he left this planet was what? As you are going, make disciples of the whole nation, like everybody, everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them everything I've commanded you. Not go to church and sing songs and read the Bible together. Right? That's good, but that's not the whole piece. And this morning, uh, I just want to remind you that our God is still the God who saves. Amen. Amen. Our God is still the God who pursues. Our God is still the God who chases, and our God is still the God who loves. He's not out of the saving business. Actually, He is just getting started. We'll just be about what He's doing. All those things in the New Testament where we see the church walk up with the day of Pentecost to Acts, and this guy um, preaches this message, right? 3,000 people come to know Jesus in one day. That's not far removed from where we are today. Maybe it's far removed from where we are with Jesus right now. Maybe it's far removed from the surrender in our heart right now or the boldness in the church right now. It's not far removed from what God is willing to do. Amen? I believe that. And I will not quit believing that. Actually, I believe we'll see that. We'll just push forward into what he's doing. That's for free this morning. Um, We're going to be in Luke 7 if you have your Bible. I'm so excited about um, this message. This is the last message of what is worship, uh, the series. So I'm going to try to blow through the intro. But um, we started the series a few weeks ago called What is Worship? And I know that sounds silly because in our minds, like, this is worship, right? We're going to get up here, we're going to sing some songs, we're going to play some music, I'm raise my hands, I really like the bridge, that song, oh, behold, we're in this good. Like, that is not the whole of worship. Right? It's a part of worship, a piece of worship. Music is something that's tied to worship, and we can't really get those two things apart. And like, um, like all the things that we do through psalms, like you said, like raise your hands, clap your hands, like those are, those are things that are tied to worship, and we can't separate those things. But I just want to say, like, that's not the whole of worship this morning. Even if you look up the definition in the dictionary, worship is an adoration or reverence um, towards a deity. And worship is a, an adoration or a reverence toward a deity. And that's a broad spectrum definition, right? So in this house, it's a little different. Worship is an outward and open expression of an inward love for God. That Our love for God that's on the inside of us should cause something to shift on the outside of us. That when we, when we love God and we see God and we know God, that it should spur something to change about our outward existence. And yes, that does include, man, I'm going to raise my hand, right? God, I agree with the truth that we're singing about right now. Yes, amen. That does include, man, sometimes I'm going to be overcome and I'm going to cry or sometimes I'm going to overcome and I'm going to be shouting or sometimes I'm going to overcome and I'm just going to do something nuts. It's going to be crazy. And maybe that's, Maybe that's a part of it. Can I just say, like, the, the whole point of this, I just summed up the past few weeks, is that the love for God inside of us should change our lives. Worship is not a set of songs that we respond to. Worship is a lifestyle. 
Romans, it talks about how because everything is from God and through God and for God, we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that we should be reserved for God, that everything about us right, should be directed and given back to Him, because in the beginning, everything was made by Him, and He made everything for Himself, and that includes you, and it all belongs to Him anyway. So this morning, we're going to kind of wrap this up in Luke 7, and Luke 7, verse 36, the story that we're going to jump into this morning begins, it says, then one of the Pharisees, it's a religious leader of the day, invited him, capital him being Jesus, to eat with him, the Pharisee. So we see in 36 that as we enter this story, one of the Pharisees, a religious leader, right? It's weird. Those guys are not normally good guys in the story. Like Those guys are not the hero ever. Uh, they, they don't really get it together ever. Um, they're religious leaders. The people who know the most about the Bible, right? People who pray the best, right? The people who know the songs the best. People who wear the church clothes the best. They're never the hero of the story. Ow. But this guy, a little different, invites Jesus over to his house to eat dinner. We don't know why. Um, there's never really a reason given in here. This guy could have been more like Nicodemus where he wanted to ask Jesus some questions and he wanted to do that away from maybe his other Pharisee friends. Or it could be that he was like a lot of the other Pharisees looking to trap Jesus. There's no really evidence either way because the story is not about this man. Um, but it says that he, Jesus, entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, I want to explain this. It's not like the point to the story, but you're not going to get the point to the story because it's going to get in the way. Um, when it says he reclined at the table, what he's not talking about is he pulled up a chair and just kind of leaned back like a lazy boy in the chair. And the tables at this time, they were really close to the ground. They maybe only a few inches off the ground, and when you would eat or recline at the table, you would lay on your side, and your feet would be pointed away from the table. So go home and try that. It doesn't sound comfortable, actually, when I was thinking about it. And it says that as he was doing this, a a woman in the town uh, who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. It says that when Jesus sat down to eat here at this guy's house or laid down to eat here at this guy's house, that there was a woman in the town who heard, hey, Jesus is having dinner with that guy. Jesus is up there at his house. And when she heard this, um, she wanted to go and see Jesus. It says that this woman was a sinner. It didn't say what sin that was. It's not really important for the story, moral to the story there. All sins are pretty much the same. Like there's no gradation. She could have been a liar. She could have been probably more likely a prostitute. Didn't really matter. They're the same and God dies. And she was a sinner. Found out that Jesus was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house and it says that she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. So she hears that Jesus is going to go to this guy's house and sit down and eat, and she wants to go and see Jesus, but she goes home first, and she gets this flask, this jar of alabaster, and it's filled with fragrant oil. Now, an alabaster jar it is a jar made out of a stone that's found in Alabastrox, I think, Egypt. It's only in that one place, and it's named after that one area that it's found in. And it's filled with perfumes and other things because the perfume makers feel like that's the best vessel to keep that fragrance. 
that we'll keep it for the longest, is what they thought. It was a very expensive jar of perfume. It was probably somewhere around 300 denarii. I can't translate that into today's money, but it's a lot. A one denarii would have been a day's wage for most common workers in this day. So a bottle that costs 300 denarii, you had to work for 300 days to buy this one jar of perfume. It's almost a year. Can you imagine, like, I work almost a year, and then I'm just going to go out and blow all that money on a bottle of perfume? Some of you guys would be mad if your wife did that. You'd be like, that's ridiculous. Like, why would you do that? We've worked hard for that money. There's 65 days we can eat on, right? And <laughs> the 300 days, not car payment, not house payment, not like dog food. Like, it's all right there in that little jar of perfume. That's how much this lady would have spent on, on this jar. But she goes home and she gets it. And it says in 38, she stood behind him at his feet. And this is why I explained the reclining thing. Because when I read this, I was like, what in the world? Because I know how chairs work, right? If you're like behind somebody, the feet are the other direction. But that's not actually true in, in this story because Jesus is laying at the table. So if you get the image, Jesus would be laying at the table and his feet would be away from the table. And this lady would be some ways away still from Jesus behind him but at his feet. And it says that she was behind him, or stood behind him at his feet, and it says weeping, crying intensely. She began to wash his feet with her tears. This is not like a little mist, right? If you're washing, the, the Luke felt the need to, to use that specific term. If you're washing somebody's feet with your tears, man, you are really going, right? You are really crying. She's back behind Jesus, and she just cannot control herself. It's not like, oh, man, this is like the most amazing thing. I've been working on this my whole life. Like, here's a little tear. It's like, man, I'm just wailing back here behind him. And it says that her tears began to wash his feet. It says she washed his feet with the hair of her head. Did you get this? standing back behind Jesus, and she's crying, and she sees that her tears are falling on his feet, probably somewhat embarrassed by this. She leans over, and what she has is just begins like grabbing her hair and, and rubbing the tears off his feet. That's disgusting. Anybody not think so? You can volunteer. It's gross, right? Because now she's moved from I'm up here crying to now I'm down here like on my knees close to Jesus. You, can you imagine how close you have to be to wipe somebody's feet with your hair? Like almost face to the ground, face to the feet right here. Wiping, scrubbing Jesus' feet with her hair. And then it says that she began to kiss his feet. I'm trying to find the verse now. Um, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. Now, I've never taught this story before because I'll be completely honest, the story is weird to me. Right? Like, I'm not one of those people who, like, feet creep me out and I'm going to, like, run from you if you take your shoes off, but it's gross. This lady hears that Jesus is going to be there. Probably this lady has heard Jesus teach several times in the street. It's Mary and other gospel, or this lady in other gospels is identified as Mary of Bethany. 
And this lady, Mary, um, strong hints to the fact that she was a lady who was a prostitute. It's speculated maybe she's even the lady with the stoning incident, right? And she's heard Jesus teach. She's seen him out on the streets maybe time and time again. She's seen how he talks to people like her. To the Pharisee, this occurrence would never happen in his house. It would be so foreign in his house because she would really not normally even be allowed anywhere near his house. Pharisees didn't associate with sinners, especially not sinners like this one. But Jesus has been teaching about the mercy and the grace of God. She's heard that. She's heard in stories there's hope for people like her, right? She's heard that, man, even people like you that have done things like you, you can come to God. The church doesn't really teach that, do they? No, it's only the good people. It's only people that act the right way and dress the right way and look the right way. You know, maybe come in and you'll just kind of start to blend in. And once you blend in, maybe then you'll learn to behave. And then once you learn to behave, you can believe, right? That's never the way Jesus taught anyone. See, the truth of it is, you come in and you believe, right? It begins with belief. And then maybe, just maybe, then after that we can learn to blend in. And maybe, just maybe after that we can learn to behave. And we flipped it around the other way. And so with the Pharisees, these people with good intentions, these religious people, they missed it. With this lady had heard Jesus talk, man, maybe God does care about people like that. I've been taught my whole life he doesn't, but maybe he does. Maybe, maybe, maybe I really do have a shot at heaven. I've been taught my whole life that I could never get there because I'm so unclean, but maybe, maybe I don't have to be so unclean. So she grabs this oil and, and leaves her house, and I, I believe the intent when she left her house is I'm going to take this oil and I'm just going to maybe put some of this oil on the feet of Jesus. See, anointing the feet means something. And it's a sign of love. And it's a sign of discipleship. It's saying, I'll follow you, right? I'm going to put oil on your feet and I'm going to follow those feet. It's a sign of service. And she probably thought, I'm going to grab my really nice, the nicest thing I have in my whole house, something that probably was reserved for my burial. And I'm just buy that to dab on the bottom of your house. You know, spend 300 days wages just to smell good, right? Something that probably was reserved for her burial or maybe like the burial of someone else that she loves. And she takes this oil, and, and I believe that when she gets there, she thinks, I'm just going to rub this on there and I'm going to get out of here because I know he doesn't like me. And, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't want to be around that Pharisee guy because he's going to judge me. So I think that maybe was the idea. And then she gets in there and she sees him, right? And when she sees him, she's so overcome to be in the presence of Jesus that she just begins to weep. They're not even have a conversation. And it's not even a hint that he's even turned around and like, oh, hey, Mary. Like, there's none of that, right? But she comes up behind him, and then she's in the presence of Jesus, and she's this close, and she's like, man, I can't believe that I'm here right now. I cannot believe that I'm in the presence of Jesus. And I've heard how he teaches. I've heard about the mercy and the grace and the love of God. Here he is. He's right here in front of me. I can, I can actually reach out and touch him. And she begins to cry. 
Not just like, oh, he's good. Not to wail, to weep with that like intense crying. And then she notices, oh man, my tears, they're getting all over his feet. She sees the drop as the tear goes down and kind of washes away the little streak of mud. And as it continues, I believe she's just so overcome with, oh man, my tears, I'm not even worthy to put my tears on my feet. I've got to get these tears off. And she reaches over and the only thing she has is her hair. So she starts scrubbing on the feet of Jesus with her hair. And then she thinks, man, he's not rejected me. I can, I can touch him and he's not fussing at me. He's not telling me to get away. He's not like you're unclean. And then she's so overcome by that she starts kissing these feet. And then I think she thinks, oh yeah, I came here to do something. I came here to anoint him. And she breaks the bottle. Not just like, these are long stem bottles. Not just like, I'm going to get a dab. She breaks the bottle and just pours the anointing oil out on his feet, like 300 days wages on his feet. It's a beautiful moment. It's an it's it's example of what really it should look like to come into the presence of God. We just become overwhelmed. And then everything we have, it's like, I don't, I, I can't give enough. I was just going to annoy, I was just coming, I was just coming to give a little, but now I'm here and I just, man, I've got to give it all. But the problem is there's another person at the table, right? Can you imagine how awkward this would be to watch this go down? I mean, it's always awkward to see somebody that's really worshiping Jesus when you know that you're not. So he sees this, and he's trying to make sense of this, and the only thing he can come up with to, to get something out to maybe even make him feel better is... Um, these words. Thirty-nine. It says, "When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, just kind of mumbled it under his breath. Um, this man, being Jesus, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner." man in this moment of awkwardness looks back and maybe even tries to make an excuse in his own heart why he isn't the one doing that thing. Man, Jesus can't be a prophet. There's no way Jesus can be a prophet because this woman is dirty. She's a sinner. You see, if he was a prophet, he would surely know like who this was. He would know this is Mary and he would know, man, that, that she is so unclean. He would know what she does. He would know who she is. Don't we do that? Oh, we're just nuts. It's crazy. It's just emotional. Maybe. And maybe they're just in the presence of God and we're witnessing something we cannot explain because we are there. So he mumbles this under his breath. And it says, Jesus replied to him, not what you want when you're mumbling something under your breath. And Jesus says, Simon, we have his name now, it's been half the story, that's how we know it's not about him. 
And Jesus finally mentions his name. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. So Simon answered back, Teacher, turn the respect, Rabbi. Turn most Pharisees wouldn't throw at Jesus, so maybe this is above average Pharisee. Teacher, say it. And when Jesus speaks to him just how he would understand, Pharisees love to teach him parables, and now we're going to get a parable from Jesus. A parable is just a story meant to illustrate a moral or spiritual point. And it says that Jesus talks back and he says, a creditor who had two debtors, the creditor being the lender of money, the debtor being the owner of money or the borrower of money. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. Now the bottle cost 300, right? 300 days work. So this was 500 days work worth of money. One guy, one lady, one whoever owed 500 denarii, it says, and the other owed 50. Minuscule, comparatively speaking, still 50 days worth of work, but compared to 500, what's 50, right? And it says in 42, since they could not pay it back, neither one could not pay it back, it says, he, being creditor, graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? This is what Jesus says. Okay, let me tell you the story. Imagine this. We've got one guy that owes $500, and we have another guy that owes $50, and neither one of those people had the money to pay him back. So the creditor, because he was a good guy, he was a nice guy, he was gracious, he was full of grace. He said to both people, don't worry about it. Which one of those two people do you think loved the creditor more, were more thankful to the creditor? Which one of those two do you think responded in in the most amazing way? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. And I don't know why Simon used these words, I suppose, because to me, I'm kind of smart, but this sounds like one of those answers. I don't know that's what he's being... There are a couple different reasons, one of which could be they're both debtors, right? Neither one had the funds to pay back. They both should be thankful. $50 and $500 are the same if you have zero dollars, right? It doesn't matter if you have a $50 debt if you have nothing to pay back. It might as well be 500 or 5 million or 5 billion because got no money. And when he says, I suppose, maybe that's what he's saying. But he says, I suppose the one that owed more. Jesus says, you have judged correctly or answered correctly. He told him, and it says that turning to the woman now, this is the first time we see Jesus ever turn around and acknowledge the woman's presence in the story. So turning to the woman now, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Obviously, we've been talking about the woman. Simon sees the woman. Do you really see her? Are you, are you, are you noticing this? Can, can, you, can, can you get this thing that's happening right now? Do you just see her like she's there exists? Or do you see the significance of what is happening in this moment? Do you see this woman? 
And then Jesus says, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. This is customary. This is something that would happen if you walked into any host house. They would give you water to wash your feet because this is, man, this is not today when we all have shoes and places and things like that. This is, I walk around barefoot probably in the dirty, nasty dirt roads in the desert sometimes. My, my, my job is to walk. That's what Jesus does all the time. Like he travels from place to place to place to place to place and preaches and says, I walked in here and my feet were dirty and you didn't even do what was customary of the host. You didn't give me any water. I didn't ask you to wash my feet. This would be the job reserved for the lowest slave in the house. And you know, there's no Pharisee man that's really going to bend down and wash the feet of anybody, right? And he says, you didn't even give me a bowl. He says, look at what's happening here. This is this woman here. Um, you, you give me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You see that? This is you. You gave me no kiss. Now this is weird to us, but this is customary when a, when a, when a, a guest would enter a host's house, they would greet them with a kiss. That's what happened in these days. And said, so you, "You didn't give me a kiss. You didn't greet me with respect." This is, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. Did you, did you notice that? You didn't even do what was like expected. She's gone beyond. It says in 46, you didn't anoint my head with oil. Again, foreign to us, but when a when a host would receive a guest into their house, it's pretty customary to anoint their head with oil. It's just a sign of respect. The Jewish people did that. Cheap olive oil, right? You can go to the store and buy gallons of it for just a few dollars. It, olive Freeze all around. They had olive oil everywhere. They used it in their sacrifices. Like they, they, they had olive oil. And here he says, You didn't even show me the respect of anointing my head with cheap olive oil. But she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil, with costly oil. She busted open her $300 bottle of perfume and poured it all over my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. What Jesus is saying here is, oh yeah, she's a sinner. I, I, I know who she is. I know what she's done. I probably know what she's done better than she knows what she's done. I'm aware of her heart. I'm aware of her thoughts. I'm aware of where she spends her time. I just want you to know that her many sins have been forgiven not because of what she's doing right now but because she believes and this is what forgiveness looks like you hear that? you you can see it You, you can see that she's been forgiven because this is what forgiveness looks like Forgiveness. <laughs> if I could draw you a model of what being forgiven looks like, but this is it. She knows. She's she's very aware 
but she's a sinner. She's very aware that up until now, there's never been anybody that's given her hope that she could ever even come to God. She knew she would never be clean not on her own and not with your religion. Like she knew she'd never obtain it. She knew she'd never earn up to it. She knew that. But in spite of that, she had no money, and I gave her all the forgiveness. And this is what it looks like. You see? And this is what he says. That's why she loved much. That's why. You see this. And then he goes on and says, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. Now what he's saying is not this Pharisee Simon didn't have many sins to be forgiven. What he's saying is here, Simon didn't think he needed very much forgiveness. Simon would say, I'm a good person. Oh, I, I, I live a good life. Why do you think you're going to heaven? Because I'm a good person. Right? I don't, I don't really need forgiveness for very much. Like I, I may do a little thing every once in a while, but I'm not like a big sinner. I'm not a sinner like her. Or like I'm a different kind of sinner. I, mean, I don't even know a sinner. I would say that. Just maybe like everyone's on a mistake, but like I'm not like her. What Jesus is saying here, and the reason that the reason you don't love like she loves is because you don't realize you need forgiveness like she needs forgiveness. See, the reality of it is, it doesn't matter if you owe fifty dollars and she owes five hundred dollars. You both are bankrupt. Because yeah. in the economy of heaven, good deeds don't equal cash. Amen. That's right. In the economy of heaven. Church attendance doesn't equal cash. In the economy of heaven, cash doesn't even equal cash. But the blood of the Lamb does. And you don't have the name of that. Because you want Him. So if you want to be forgiven, you got to come to the same place, the same person, and you got to come the same way. And the reason that you don't respond in this way is because somehow, some way, you think because you're religious, you're a good person. A false. Blasphemy. Wrong. Lies. Deceit. Because there are no good people. Can I just say that? You're not. There are no good people. Prove it. There are none, no, not one, right? That means it ain't you. And if that's what we're banking on to get us somewhere with God, we're not getting any. Amen? But I come to church. Depart from me, I never knew. But I know the songs. Depart from me, I never knew. But I was a good person. A, no, you weren't. Depart from me, you never knew. But I followed the rules. No, you didn't. Depart from me, I never knew. But I knew what answers to say. Depart from me, I never knew. I knew a lot of stuff about Jesus. Great. 
apart from me. I never knew you. See, the truth of it is, you can know everything about him, and he can still not know you. Because it's not an intellectual game. It's an experiential thing. Amen? So, what we see here is two different things. We see one woman who realizes, man, I am a sinner. And he ain't a prophet. He's a savior. That's right. He didn't come to teach me stuff. He came to save my soul. He didn't come to tell me what I needed to wear or how I needed to act. He came to make me alive. And she knew that. And that's why you see the breakdown, right? And we have on the other side a guy who probably respects Jesus. We see a guy who's religious. Right? A guy who knows the Bible, a guy who knows how to pray, a guy who knows how to dress but doesn't know Jesus. And he says, Oh, he's a prophet. If he was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman that is. See, he thinks Jesus came to teach him how to be a better person, or teach him how to get to heaven, or teach him that's wrong. He didn't come to teach, he came to say. So this man, being a good person, being a religious man, being a Pharisee, he even misses the things that are common and expected. And he thinks he's doing it all right. I'm a good person. I don't need to bring you water to wash your feet. I'm a good person. I don't need to greet you with a kiss. I'm a good person. I don't need to anoint your head with oil because we're pretty close to the same you and me, Jesus. The truth is, man, this guy was so far out of the ballpark. I know all the right answers, but I don't see them. I know all the songs, but I don't see them. I know how to dress, but I don't see them. I even see them, but I don't see them. And it says in 48, Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. In 39, we didn't even know these guys were here, but it says those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And I knew he could heal people, but I didn't know he could do that. Man, I knew he was a good teacher. I didn't know he could do that. And I, 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 I thought I knew a lot of stuff about him. I did not know he could do that. See, the reality this morning is the thing that we're trying to get past because we think it's the beginning of Christianity is the thing that we should never get over. And that's great. God can heal you. He spoke the universe into existence. Yes, He can heal you. Amen? So can the doctors. Amen? Oh man, he, he, can, he can reconcile marriages. Well, that's fantastic, and I'm glad that He can. 
So can marriage counselors. Amen. Man, I'm, it's, he can he can blow addiction out of the water. That's great. They have rehab for that. Amen. Where else can you go to get forgiveness of sin? Who else can make a dead heart live? Amen. Who else can breathe life into a dead soul and resurrect it where it can be called a friend of God? I don't know any counselors that can do that, do you? I don't know any rehabs that can do that, do you? See, the reality of it is this morning, the most amazing thing about Jesus is forgiveness. The most amazing thing about Jesus is He can forgive you of your sins. Your dirty, stinking, rotten, wretched heart that's totally against God and at war with God, He can take that thing, He can rip it out, and He can put a new one in there. Man, there are benefits. There are other things that God does. Yes, He can heal people. Yes, He can reconcile marriages. Yes, He can reconcile friendships. Yes, He can free you from addiction and all that stuff. But so can other people. I mean, there is one name. There is only one name that can forgive sins, and that's Jesus' name. Amen? We get caught up in all this other stuff. We're like, oh man, i got to get over here. i got to do this. i got to get here. i got to do this. Do you know what you're standing in front of? Man, never lose the wonder of your mercy because nobody else can do that. Man, never lose the wonder of the cross because nobody else can do that. Man, never lose the amazement at your sacrifice because nobody else can do that. I can't do that. Your friends can't do that. Your family can't do that. Jesus is the only name that can do that. And we sit around... ask you this this morning if you're forgiven what's the appropriate response think about it if he did that what's the appropriate response to that forgiveness because I'll just be honest with you just loving it in my heart no, it's not for me. Amen? Oh, I love him. It's not comfortable with that. Get over yourself. Amen? I don't care if you get mad. It's true. I'm saying it because I love him. I don't know. I just, I don't know. That's not me. Praise God. You're not that great. Amen? You can be either person in the story. You can, you can be the one who, and I recognize myself. I know that I'm not a good person. Everybody in this room can raise your hand because you're not. I know that I've never done anything that God should even look in my, He shouldn't even spit in my direction. Like that would be a blessing. But He saved me. What's the response? If it's not something a whole lot more like this lady, you're way too impressed with yourself. That's right. Or you can be the other person in the story. Oh, I'm a good person. I'm a religious person. 
Oh, I know the Bible. Oh, I know how to pray. I've raised in church, whatever. I know how to dress. People even ask me if I'm a Christian sometimes because I'm so Christian. <laughs> so, you know what Jesus said about guys like this? They're a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. You look great on the outside, but you are dead and rotten and stinking on the inside. If you think that you're the greatest thing in the universe and you're sucking up all the glory for you and it's not yours, so get off your high horse, buddy. Maybe you're the best doctor in the world. You can't save people. Maybe you're the best counselor in the world, but you can't save people. Maybe you're the best missionary on the planet, but you've never saved one soul. You might be the best witness of the gospel forever, but you can't breathe life into a dead heart. You can't do jack without me. That's right. It's time that you get down and you realize that you're not even worthy to cry on my feet. I love you. Why don't we try to worship that back? That's right. That's right.